What's up, everybody? Bradley with the Insurance Guys Podcast here. Before we get started with this episode, I want to talk to you about this week's sponsor. If you pay any attention to the independent agency channel, you know there's no hotter buzzword right now than VAs or virtual assistants. This week's sponsor, I'm proud to say, is CoverDesk, who offers an innovative client solution for agencies to outsource client-facing VAs. Created by agency veteran Andy Priesman, owner of Greenway Insurance. People, this is not your typical VA company. They offer a proven system of recruiting highly educated virtual assistants, ensuring consistent performance for your agency. With their experience, they're able to help you design a program that is just right for you and your agency. They implement by onboarding and training each VA in foundational insurance skills. Visit CoverDesk on the web at www.coverdesk.com or email them at hello at CoverDesk.com or you can call them and tell them that the insurance guys sent you. Please do at 512-879-3345. Guys, give CoverDesk a ring. I promise you, you will not regret it. Insurance agents from around the world, welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for I Protect Insurance and Financial Services, based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome, he is a six foot three sophomore from Sarah Land, Alabama, parade first team All-American, rivals five-star recruit. He is a fantastic insurance agent and a great American. Ladies and gentlemen, please stand and welcome the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? Great, Scott. How are you today? Well, I'm telling you what, things have changed, have they not, Bradley? Today is April the 1st, and it looks like we are smack dab in the middle of the uh, COVID-19 virus. Bradley, I apologize. Uh, Sunday night, I sent him a message and said I was coming to Mobile. I posted a video about that on uh, social media. I started getting calls from friends and family telling me I had lost my mind for going down to Mobile and and increasing my chances of getting the COVID-19. And so after a lot of talk and thoughtful discussion, Bradley and I decided to just go ahead and do this thing remotely this time. And Bradley, I think it's going to work great. I I really think we're, uh, you know, we're kind of cracking the code here on how to do this remotely. What do you think? I'm really looking forward to not having to sit in an eight by eight room with you. I don't blame you a bit. So guys, what you don't know about Scott is uh, since I was about nine years old, I've had pneumonia, hospitalized with pneumonia five times. July of 2007, I had uh, my wife on one side of the bed and a pulmonologist on the other side of the bed at Trinity Hospital in Birmingham, and uh, I can vividly remember my wife asking her if she needed to go ahead and make funeral arrangements at that time. Uh, I was in intensive care for a week. I consulted with my doctors about a month ago when this all started, and they basically told me that if I catch the COVID-19, I've got about a 50-50 chance of living. So for me, you you know, as a funny side note to this story, if you want to, it's not really funny, but it's interesting. When I went down to Bradley's wedding in Costa Rica, I believe that was two years ago, Bradley? Uh, Yeah. The day Bradley arrived, I came down with walking pneumonia. So I was there for six days with walking pneumonia while we were down in Costa Rica. And my beautiful wife actually went into one of those shady-ass pharmacies down in Costa Rica. She did. 
Did yeah, she, she, brought, like, she brought, write the prescription down on a note card and handed it to him? Basically, yeah. So she just walked in. I think it was like amoxis. I don't remember what the drug was. It was the pneumonia. It was heroin. What is it? Yeah. But she basically just walked in and they said, okay, here you go. Handed it to her for like 10 bucks. But um, yeah, I, I am one of the very, very, very high risk categories. If I catch this, there's about a 50-50 shot. I don't make it. So uh, hopefully I won't. But if I do, we'll just we'll deal with that too. But Guys, we have got a fantastic podcast for you today. Our mission on this podcast is very simple. It's to help you insurance agents in any way we can. The guy that we have on this podcast today is a dynamic speaker. I have been consuming a lot of his content over the past two days. I really, really like a lot of what he says and does. And we're going to talk about commercial insurance today. And I'll go ahead and tell him on this uh, Zoom call that we have that, that our mission, his mission today, is to help you agents out there that sell commercial insurance to move the ball one step forward to greatness. That's our mission. That's what we do. So uh, with that, I want both of us to be very thoughtful about what we talk about today and give you guys some actionable steps to help you in your agency. So Without further ado, I want to introduce him. He is originally from Tampa, Florida, and currently lives in Valrico, Florida. He is a graduate of Birmingham Southern College. Go Panthers. He is actually a graduate of the same school that I graduated from in, in 1995. He is married to the beautiful Andrea Carruthers, and they have four beautiful babies, Grayson, Landon, Ethan, and Caroline. He is the founder of Game Changers Marketing, LLC, and the principal agent at Florida Risk Partners. He has a YouTube channel called Killing Commercial Insurance. Might want to write that shit down. He has a podcast called The Power Producers Podcast with his co-host, Kyle Houck. I listened to it last night, and after I listened to the very first episode, Marketing 2.0, a decade later with Bernie Borges, I actually copied the link and sent it to all my commercial producers. He has a book coming out on May 1st, The Extra Two Minutes. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my profound honor to introduce to you for the first time on the Insurance Guys podcast, Mr. David Carruthers. How are you, David? I am wonderful. And wow, what an introduction, fellas. I really appreciate it. I'm humbled to be here. Uh, you guys certainly have a great audience and a great following. And if I can live up to half the expectations that you've set for this crew, we're going to be doing right. David, I want to talk about a lot of things today. Again, uh, agents that are listening to this, when you get off this podcast, if you're in commercial insurance, two things I need you to do for me. I need you to go to YouTube, and I need you to type in Killing Commercial Insurance. David has a series of videos on there. They are fantastic. And a lot of the stuff he talks about on there is specific to, obviously, the insurance industry, but commercial insurance. I watched probably five or six of those episodes last night. And then also, I want you guys to write down the Power Producers podcast. It's a brand new podcast. And after I heard the intro on that, I wanted to run through my living room wall like the Kool-Aid man. So uh, I, I was very impressed. I listened to probably three quarters of that podcast with uh, Bernie Borges. But I guess the way I want to get started today, David, we want to talk about commercial insurance. But before we do, get into your book that's coming out May the 1st. I, I listened to you know the topic and what it was about, but I want you to talk a little bit about that. But before you do that, I almost forgot, climb in my DeLorean for just a second, take us back in time, 
get in my passenger seat and talk a little bit about how you got into the insurance industry. Wow, that's a long and storied past. And I'm going to warn everybody up front, you might think that there's going to be a third insurance guy on here before this is all said and done because, you know, the fact of the matter is I lived in Birmingham for 10 to 12 years. So that twang is going to come back just like my wife's ghetto Jersey accent comes back when she gets up to Jersey. Dude, it so does. Right. When, I, when I'm doing podcasts with Scott, I'll re- I'm like, oh my God, where's that coming from? Because I'm, I'm talking <laughs> to him for eight hours. It's so funny, man. I mean, in my mind right now, I am eating a Milo's cheeseburger, sucking oh. on sweet tea, and I'm talking to the Rick and Bubba of insurance podcasts. That's so exactly it. I'm in my happy place right which now. Which one's Rick and which one's Bubba? Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. I'd have to think through that. That's a, I think that's I'm, a probably, I'm probably Rick and he's probably Bubba. That's that's where I was leaning, and yeah. uh, you know, truthfully, either way, either one of you wins. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right, so right. it doesn't really matter. But yeah, so I actually started out in the grocery industry. I played baseball coming out of high school, and I blew my arm out in college. And I tell people I walked into Winn Dixie in Pelham, Alabama, after having driven fourteen hours from Morgantown, West Virginia, down to my parents' place and I needed a job and my sister was the head cashier and so I had a choice. I could either work in the dairy department for five dollars and eighty five cents an hour or I could be an overnight stocker for six thirty five an hour. For fifty cents an hour I chose to work graveyard shift and, and looking back on it now on a forty hour week for twenty bucks I didn't sleep all night. So it really didn't not the best decision or well thought out, but you know, it, it's kind of interesting because I had in my mind that I was just going to end up playing ball again someday. I was going to be the next Kurt Warner that went, uh, rose from the ashes of grocery store stocking to a professional athletic career. But I did that. I worked for Super Target. I actually um, assisted in opening up the two Super Targets up there in Huntsville when they opened back in 02, I think, 02, 03. Mm-hmm. And uh, traveled the country with them working on broken processes and stores uh, there towards the end. But just decided what I wanted to be when I grew up, man. I was 30, early thirties. My oldest son was two years old. He didn't know who I was. He didn't, you know, he didn't understand why I worked as much as I did. And I always had said when I have kids that I'm never going to be that guy that has my kid yanking on my arm while I'm sitting at a computer saying, daddy, why can't you play catch with me? So it was really a, a, an easy decision for me to, to leave retail, but I wanted to find something where I could make more money per hour, the more hours that I worked, as opposed to having a diminishing return on my investment of time. And so I uh, was introduced to a gentleman that owned a, a large agency prior that had sold that was going to relaunch down in Tampa. And my father was the risk manager for him in the employee leasing company he owned while he was sitting out his non-compete. Made that connection, jumped on a Southwest flight, flew from Birmingham down to Tampa, had lunch with him. He gave me the three reasons why I needed to go into the insurance industry, three or four reasons. I bought into all of them, flew back to Birmingham, loaded up the F-150, and the rest is history. I worked with his firm for a little while. I um, was also a partner in an agency prior to Florida Risk that specialized in PEO, uh, Master Workers' Compensation Policies, not my forte or heart's desire. Florida Risk launched in 2016 so that we could get back to focusing on uh, middle market and risk management oriented accounts. And that's as fast as I can get you here. And that's perfect. I appreciate you doing that. So let's talk a little bit about your book, The Extra Two Minutes. I love this concept. I want the insurance guys, podcast listeners to hear this because 
I think it's something that could help them in their agencies, you know, help, help grow their, their business and, and write more insurance. So talk a little bit about the book. Yeah, I mean, the book is really kind of basic, to be honest with you. I'm not a smart guy, man. I, I just tend to look at things from a different point of view. I, I, I was using it as an example on one of the podcasts we recorded this week. And it reminds me that part of Sling Blade, when everybody's trying to fix the lawnmower and they say, hey, Carl, you're, you're good with mechanics. Why don't you come look at it? He comes and unscrews the gas cap. Ain't got no gas in it. And, no you know, yeah. that's it. Yeah. You know, and I think that when you look at things, we overcomplicate way too much in this, in this world. And to me, the difference, and this is something that I've subscribed to literally my whole career, and it goes back to the things that your grandfathers would have taught you, you know, take the time to do the job right. Mm. So, if you can spend just an extra two minutes on literally almost any task in sales, you are going to move yourself from the status quo to best in class. And to give you a tangible example of that, I uh, was talking to an agent who ran into a roadblock with a decision maker. You know, he had gotten himself into an, uh, an account that was several hundred thousand dollars in premium. And the owner of the account, the owner of the company had said, look, I want you to come in and do an experience mod audit for me because I think that you can help us, but you need to go get the information from this person. And it was the gatekeeper. And you know, how many times does that happen? The owner just pushes you off. So he shot me a message and he said, look, I'm having problems. What, what can I do? And I said, look, I'm going to, I'm going to help you. I'm going to, I'm going to draft a few sentences for you in email. And then I want you to copy and paste it. You'll get what you want. And basically what happened is he got what he wanted. <laughs> you know, he, right. I, I, but, but essentially he needed information, right? In order to do an experience mod audit, and I don't want to get too technical into insurance, but you have to have the loss runs. You have to have the audited payrolls. You need a copy of the mod worksheet as it was promulgated, all of those things. And basically that's what he asked for. Mm -hmm. And when the lady wrote back to him, she said, look, I'm not giving you anything until you give me a detailed description of what you're going to do to reduce our experience mod. And so my response was really simple. It was, listen, um, I appreciate you writing back to me and letting me know of your concerns. I have to be honest with you. What you're asking me to do is really impossible. The reason why we are asking for that information is because we use software to enter that in and validate that your experience modification factor is even correct. Mm -hmm. We find that 65% of them are wrong due to bad data coming in and going out. So as a result, we put the information in there. And then what we do is we generate a report that will give you your top loss drivers and what's contributing points to your mod in terms of body part, injury type, cause of injury, or even by employee. And then we meet with you. We sit down. We cover the results of that report. We ask you what resources your organization is able to deliver. And we're going to tell you what we're able to commit. Then we come up with a detailed plan on how we're going to be able to reduce your experience mod based on that exercise. I hope this clears things up. I look forward to receiving the information. Thank you again for your consideration. Boom. Ten minutes later, he had everything that he needed to get this mod audit done. And the difference is this. When I talked to him, I said, what's, what's the learning experience here? And he said, well, the learning experience is that you write good emails. And I said, no, that's not the learning experience. I can teach you to fish, but I'm not going to fish for you. Right. The learning experience is that you sent the exact same email that every agent who's ever requested loss runs in a mod worksheet has sent to her. Right. I took two minutes. I told her what I needed, why I needed it, how I was going to use it, and how it was going to benefit them. And when I did that, her guard was down. Now, not only did she give you 
what you need, but she has bought into how you're going to be able to do a different job for her than anybody else that she's talked to. And it literally took two minutes to write that email. But I mean, that's just one tangible example across a myriad of things that we try and take the shortcuts to get through. And what I, how I explained it to him was this. Let's just say the account was a half a million dollars in premium for easy math purposes. I said, that was a $50,000 a year job. Which email better represents you applying for a $50,000 a year job? The one you sent that you spent 15 to 20 seconds to type or the one that spent two minutes to type? And he said, well, you know, that makes perfect sense at that point. And so I think that just little things like that that we take for granted that can be a huge differentiator for us at the point of sale is really what we need to change. So I've got another question for you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to circle back to what you just said a second ago. For those agents out there listening to this, and you and I touched on this real briefly right before we started the podcast, they're out there, they're looking for a great commercial producer, associate agent in their, for their agency to help grow their agency in commercial insurance. What are some of the key things that you look for in hiring a, a new person to come in and, and help grow your agency in commercial? This is a little bit unique, right? My hiring process is not normal by agency standard. And you can tell me how deep you want me to go into this. I'll let you guide that discussion. But what I will tell you is this is a topic that everybody loves to hear me talk about. Sure. Because when we, yeah, when we hire a producer, we have zero financial risk. They're validated before they ever walk in the front door. And I'm going to, I'll walk you through sort of the elevator version of that because I can talk about it for an hour and a half. But basically what I do is a lot of what I do after being in the industry for 15, 20 years now is work through channel partners. I don't want to make 10 phone calls to get one appointment. I want to make one phone call to get 10 appointments. Mm -hmm. So I network with payroll uh, salespeople, credit card processing salespeople, office supplies, office equipment, IT services, all of that, because these people come from industries where they have to be successful at cold calling to be successful. I can look at a resume in 30 seconds and tell you, okay, this guy's been in progressive responsibility, same organization, five years. I could just hire him without ever even talking to him. But what we do is I like to meet them and have an informal, a formalized informal uh, referral relationship to start out with. So I'm not a big BNI or, you know, organized networking group thing because I don't like to have to be beholden to all of the rules. I think they're great organizations and they're good for people who are starting out, but for me, at this stage in my career, that just doesn't work for me. So I've sort of recreated something similar with a group of people. And essentially, it's my talent pool that I'm recruiting from. So we'll meet for coffee and we'll talk. And what we agree to is that we're going to meet on a monthly basis once a month. And when we get together, I will bring two booked appointments for that person. And they will come to that meeting with two booked appointments for me. Not leads, not pick up the phone and tell them I said to call. We walk in, we have the appointment. We manage that relationship for three or four months. And at that point is when I plant the seed. And the seed is real simple. Hey, look, man, you, you know, you're an awesome salesperson. Why in the world are you wasting your talents in payroll processing? I mean, right. it doesn't make any sense to me. How lucrative is that career, really? I mean, do you get residual income that I'm not aware of or whatever else? And typically they'll say, no, they provide me a good living. We could go out to eat when we want. We drive nice cars. We live in a nice house. We don't, we don't, we're not ever wanting anything. And within 24 hours, I get the phone call or the email. Hey man, what were you talking about yesterday? Mm. You know, I don't, I don't understand. You know, is there an opportunity that I'm not aware of? And so we get together and we talk again. And that conversation is a little bit more to the point. 
where I will run the reports from our CRM of all of the business that has been referred that we've closed. So let's just say, because my agency focuses on accounts that are twenty-five dollars to $50,000 in revenue, we're just going to use 50000 is easy math. But let's just say we meet and we've closed four $50,000 accounts out of the eight that we've been referred to. And I'll just say, look, I just want to sit down and explain to you what I was talking about. You know, over the last four months, we've closed four accounts that have been $200,000 in revenue to my agency. And if you were a producer in my firm, we pay 40% new business. So you would have made $80,000 over the last four months. My question to you is, did you make $80,000 doing what you're doing? And the answer is always no. And so what I tell them is, what if I told you, you have the ability to come and work with my firm with no risk to you or your family at all. Would you, would that be something you're interested in? And it, they're always interested. And so the next part of that conversation is, well, tell me, tell me what you need and tell me what you want. I can show, get you what you need. You're going to have to go earn what you want. And so I want to understand how they think, but keep in mind, we've been working together for four months. There might be somebody that gets in that, I don't necessarily want to make this, you know, plant the seed with, but they're still a good referral partner. Maybe I don't like their personality, but I'll still happily refer business back and forth. If they're not going to fit the culture, I don't want them in there. So I'm really interviewing somebody for several months before we ever even make them a job offer. And I get to see them presenting and proposing and all of the things, how they run their business and how good they're going to be and validate they can actually get into the right accounts. And so when they tell me what they need, I tell them, look, here's what we're going to do. Everything that you've referred in, plus everything that you refer going forward, we're going to set up a code in HubSpot Mm -hmm. so that we can track your revenue. And when we get to your need number, I'm going to pick up the phone and say, it's time for you to jump ship. And they're going to walk in. I'm going to hand them the book of business that they have referred to me. I've already had the benefit. I mean, agents get a disconnect here because they, why are you handing them anything? Well, number one, because they referred all the business in, you know, I'm not, I'm not a greedy individual. I'll happily take 60% of something instead of a hundred percent of nothing. Right. So let's go ahead and hand them the book of business because A, they referred it. B, these are relationships they already had. So it's not like they're walking in and assuming a book of strangers. These people were already their clients. Hmm. And so I don't have any financial risk at all bringing a producer in because they've already paid for themselves. They have no financial risk because they're walking into a book of business. So if everything works the way that it's supposed to work, it, it's a win-win all the way around. And, you know, you can take nine to 12 months to have these people in your pipeline and then land them like an air traffic controller to get them, get them in the door. So they come in, tell our audience a little bit about your sales process and commercial. I don't really know much about your specific agency, although I'm going to ask some questions today, but do you guys, I assume you have a specific niche that you go after or a few niches that you kind of pinpoint or are you, you more of a generalist? Um, we're kind of both, honestly. We're a generalist in the sense that we'll work with pretty much any company who has workers' comp issues. Me personally. Now, I've got a guy that specializes in childcare facilities. We've got a guy that specializes in auto services facilities. Right. We have some vertical markets like that. And then we also have some smaller business stuff that we've set up as passive revenue through inbound leads that have its own landing pages and things online. But for all practical purposes, I'm looking for somebody who has an experience mod of one or higher. And the mm-hmm. reason why is in the state of Florida, we have state administered pricing. So it doesn't matter if I go to one carrier or a hundred carriers, the bottom line number is going to be the same because we don't have the same file discounts that they have in a lot of other states. 
So it's a level playing field. And I think that a lot of agencies in Florida just throw their hands up and say, eh, comps to comp, let's focus on really getting you a great deal on your auto insurance, or let's drop the general liability premium. And they're constantly focused on hammering down price on price on price. And again, they go left, I go right. I want to look at the experience mod because that is a differentiator. That's a big deal to those companies because you can control price and it's a predictor of other issues inside of their operation. And if you're looking at it from a way to round revenue on an account, if I go into an account that has bad experience mod performance, they probably have crappy benefits. So we can talk about benefits and what we can do to bring the benefits program up to speed. We can find out if they have voluntary options for their people because it's a proven statistic that if you have a good voluntary program in place, your loss ratios drop on your workers' comp because people who are sitting on the fence about filing a Monday morning claim that they got hurt over the weekend end up going and filing the claim with Aflac or somebody where they have their money in 24 hours as opposed to workers' comp that drags it out. The other piece of it is they could have poor auto performance. Who knows how much of that workers' comp mods due to lost time injuries from automobile accidents. So you can learn a lot from that. But again, it goes back to extra two minutes, right? It actually takes a little bit more time. In this case, it's more figurative two minutes, but you know, it takes a little more time to go down this road, but the success rate is so much higher because there's so much that you can dissect from that and use, and you have a message that nobody else has because they don't want to take the time to learn it. They're insurance salesmen. So is your agency doing any BOR stuff? Do you guys do any of that? So we will not work with anybody unless we're the agent of record. Now, okay. it's not, I, I think that there's a dichotomy of how the AOR or BOR is perceived in the marketplace, right? right. I mean, there's agents out there that think it's a dirty trick, and I've certainly witnessed that. I mean, I'm yeah. not going to name payroll company names, but we, I think a lot of people have been party to, including us, um, a payroll company going in and slipping the old BOR for the workers comp into the deal when they sign the onboarding paperwork. And the next thing you know, you're, you're getting noticed that your clients moved it. They have no idea they even did. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is being the agent of record to represent the account period. You can't do that unless you have the agent of record letter, unless you're already the incumbent agent. And the reason why you do that is because you have to be able to control the marketplace. Again, it's a completely different mindset. You're not selling on price. We can go in. I can talk to a prospect for 45 minutes and not one time use the word insurance. I have developed it into an art over the years of not saying insurance. It's not even in my company name, and that's very intentional. Talk a little bit about your process of how you present that to the customer in terms of not working with it with them unless they're you know you're the agent of record talk yeah, a little I, bit about the, that because i've personally seen agents go in on commercial accounts and try to do that and just completely misfire and it not work well yeah i think the problem is that again it goes back to what are you really selling what are what is the real value that you're bringing to the table so when i talk about not using the term insurance for 45 minutes i'm talking about things like tell me about your return to work program Okay. And when they tell me about their return to work program, you know, even if they say they have one, I don't listen, you know, I let it go in one ear and out the other, because what I know is that 95% of the people I talk to, even if they think they have return to work, don't really have return to work. So I'll let them explain it to me and then I'll immediately move to, Oh, okay. So just to confirm, 
you've met with the facility, you've met with the dedicated treatment facility that you send all your people to, and you've told the doctor and the staff that you're a light duty employer, and it's important to the culture of your company to get people back to work quickly. You have a formal letter that you send to them that allows them to accept or reject the light duty job that you are offering to them. You have the predetermined uh, roles and responsibilities of everybody in your organization. And I go through and line out exactly what that return to work program would look like if you worked with our firm. And guess what? It's not there. And all of a sudden, now psychologically, they're hearing that. Then we talk about it. And listen, we all know how to drive a wedge. I think that anybody out there has the ability to do that. The problem is that the wedge, number one wedge that almost everybody drives is price. I will never compete on price because I will lose on price. If I get them to buy value, prices out the window. So we talk about all of the different things from a value standpoint. How about contractors? What are the number one and two things that contractors complain about all the time? Number one, certificates taking too long to get to them. Great. We use e-certs online or there's other people like NowCerts or these other ones that are out there that'll allow a portal to happen. And I'm sure you guys have relationships with people who do that. Let your client self-service insurance certificates. Number one, it's a heck of a lot cheaper on me from an overhead standpoint. And number two, by the time that certificate is in the hands of their end user, they couldn't even have finished the email asking you for it. The second one is audit, right? Everybody complains about audit. Oh, I got screwed by the carrier. They wanted a big check at the end of the year. Why is that a surprise? That should never be a surprise. We have a spreadsheet that we give our clients that has their rates built in. So if a contractor is going out and bidding on a job, they can plug the amounts in that they're projecting for payroll and it's going to tell them what their insurance cost is going to be as they're bidding so that there shouldn't be a surprise there. Every quarter we visit that. So if I can just go in with, even just those are three small examples. How much of a wedge have I driven if I've met three things that are, I, number one, with the return to work, I created a problem that they didn't even know they had. Right. The other two are problems that I basically just said, here's how we do this and you know, our clients love this. But when you get to that point, you, the, the hook is very simple. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, you know, I understand that, that you like everything that's here and you're probably wondering how much this is going to cost. And I'm going to let the other shoe drop now because I really appreciate the fact you've paid attention to what I'm saying. What if I told you that you can have all of this stuff with money you're already spending and I'm not going to charge you anything for this, but in order for me to do it, I have to be able to be able to the one who places the insurance for you because see, to me, insurance is a commoditized shuffling of paperwork. It has no value to you whatsoever unless it's a certificate to get you on a job site or it responds when you have a claim. That's when you need insurance. Otherwise, it's a dusty binder that sits behind your desk. Maybe it gives you protection to sleep at night. I don't know. But at the end of the day, we view insurance as the funding mechanism to buy the value proposition that we deliver on a daily basis. So what I just heard, and I represent 250,000 insurance agents from around the world. Here's what I just heard, David. You want to get an AOR change? You want to get a BOR change? You better know your crap backwards and forwards because when you walk in that door, you're building so much altitude relative to how well you know what you're doing that by the time that person gets through talking to you and understanding how well you know and understand what you're doing and the value propositions, they're like, yes, I want, I want you handling this for me. Yeah, and here's another thing. Make it easy on them, right. okay? I think everybody in the insurance industry should read The Wedge. I, it was the first book that I ever read when I, when I got into the industry, and while I still use a lot of what's in there, I've sort of customized it to my own needs, but mm-hmm. make it easy on them. One of the things that I do before I go to a new business appointment is I create the agent of record letter for that client. And I send that template to myself on email. 
Mm-hmm. I also have a list of bullet points that I want the client to use when they call to let their existing agent know that they're going to be moving the business. And so as we're sitting there at the table and they say, yes, we'd like to move forward. I say, listen, I just, I really appreciate the fact you're putting your confidence in me. We've been doing this for a while. So I was really hoping we would get there. And in anticipation of us getting to this point, I've gone on ahead and sent myself an email with the necessary paperwork. Do you mind if I pull my phone out and forward it to you? I'd really like for you to go ahead and print this out on your letterhead and sign it so that I can take it with me today. That way we can get this process started. In addition, here are some things that you're going to want to talk about when you call your existing agent. And I would recommend that you either call or email them and let them know this is going to happen. Otherwise, you're going to be dealing with the fallout of somebody who just got completely off guard and is not going to be very happy with you. But I think we can both agree this is really the best thing for your business going forward. Now, that's not a sleazy. If an agent's pissed off that I just took an AOR from them, look in the freaking mirror, man. You know, you're the one who lost the business. I didn't steal it from you. I came in. I earned it because I am good at what I do and you sold insurance. That's it. You sold a policy and you walked away. There's two themes, common myths in the insurance industry internally that I just want to bash to the ground and open up. We we should just start a Mythbusters, insurance guys, Mythbusters reality show, Scott. And one of those is that calling your customer as a courtesy to let them know their insurance is about to cancel is going to somehow lead to a freak accident E&O claim. And the second one is the BOR is bad. Yeah, no, you're right. I think up for, and David touched on it earlier. I think for years, the BOR, AOR, whatever you want to call it, has always been kind of a dirty word in the industry. And they were seen as pirates or, or whatever you want to call it. But uh, he's absolutely right. Well, you come in, you know your stuff, you know, you're creating that wedge by explaining to them some things that they don't have right now that they really need. That's where the BOR comes into play. And, and people are like, man, I, I got to work with this guy. He knows his stuff on workers' comp better than anybody in the country. David, let me ask you a question. Do you ever deal with, we ran into this in my agency with a, with a big, big account. And a lot of the market, this was a, a huge policy with all, or a huge package with all different policies. And you know, 90% of the carriers that this, this client was with were the right carriers for them. There were two or three that we could reshop and really, you know, put them in a good spot. But the client was adamant that he didn't want to BOR anything because he, he, he had been around the block a few times and, and had some people try to, to, you know, do that. And his exact words were, I want you to work for it. A, have you ever ran into something like that where the client's like, nope, you're not BOR on anything? Or B, what would you say in that case? I would apologize to them for not being effective enough in my presentation that they realized that this wasn't an insurance transaction. This was a, a business relationship based on value going forward. And I would respectfully uh, excuse myself from the meeting. I mean, I've done that before. I, I joke about it, but this is a crazy, crazy phenomenon. But my first appointments are five minutes or an hour and a half. Literally, if it's five minutes, it's because somehow, some way in the pre-qualification process, somebody got through that shouldn't have. And I have actually had business referred to me because I've walked out of meetings. Yeah. Like I, I, I was five minutes in with a guy one time and I, and I told him, I'm like, listen, I need to apologize to you, man. I don't want to waste any more of your time and I'm not going to waste any more of mine. It is apparent to me. I've been doing this a long time. You are probably not going to be a good fit for my firm. So rather than just prolong this for having a meeting's sake, let's just kill it. 
We're going to respectfully, you know, part ways and I wish you the best. You build a great company and there's absolutely nothing wrong with you or your company. It's just that I can tell this isn't going to be a fit for what we do and it has to be a fit in order for it to work. Two weeks later, I get a call. Hey, um, is this David? Yeah. He goes, I need to talk to you. I have some serious workers comp problems. Okay. How did you hear about me? Well, I was talking to Joe over at blah, blah, blah. And he told me if I had this kind of problem, you were the guy I needed to talk to. Interesting. I don't even do any business with him. No, 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 no. He told me, he told me you walked out of the meeting and you're dead serious about what you do. And because you were so stuck to your guns, that your process worked and it was the way to go. You know, he told me that I should call you because if anybody can fix what we're doing, it's going to be your firm. And that's crazy, man. That's somebody that I chose not to work with that still respected me enough to refer me to somebody who really needed my help. The flip side of it is sometimes you get to that point, they're just putting up a front and they say, listen, I didn't mean any offense by it. Let's talk. I didn't mean that I wasn't interested. You know, but I mean, listen, we have to condition buyers, right? That brings me to my last question, David, because we got we got to get off this podcast soon and we've got another one coming up. But my last question to you, and it was something I heard you say last night when I was listening to your podcast, insurance is being commoditized. It's death by a thousand cuts, especially personal lines. I'd love to hear your views on the future of insurance relative to us continuing to be agents uh, and and how the commercial insurance world kind of plays into that. What, where do you see that going, you know, in, in terms of the future of insurance? I'm far from clairvoyant, but at the end of the day, man, the agent's going to be displaced. And you'll hear a lot of people talk about this from a tinfoil hat conspiracy theory point of view. Mine is a very realistic point of view. I read the book, and I, I know the context of this because I remember talking with Bernie about it, but I read the book Permission-Based Marketing by Seth Godin back. I, I didn't read it when it came out in the late 90s, early 2000s. This cat predicted exactly what Amazon was going to be today, like 10 or 15, 20 years before it ever happened. If you're an agent out there and you don't think that you can be displaced and you're selling $2,500, $3,000 premium accounts, the only person you're kidding is yourself. Big data has got you by the short hairs already. They have everything they need to know. And if you look, if you don't believe me, how many Amazon boxes were on your porch last month? Right. There's going to come a day where if you have an Amazon business account or you just go into your Amazon account, you're going to go in, you're going to order something, and they're going to have a button that says, we've already prepared a homeowner's quote for you based on the information we know about you and your family. Click here to see the options. Boom. There it is. Watch it, click to bind, payments can come directly out of your Amazon account. I mean, there's so many different ways they can go with that. Right. And that's why I, I, I preach to people value, 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 because there's an inflection point where value is going to matter. And I don't see that ever making its way to the, the, the lower middle market and larger middle market accounts. But small business and personal lines, being truthful, it's probably too late. I don't know that we can recover from that. I just think it's a matter of time at this point. So here's my problem with you, David. My problem with you is you go across so many topics. We, we didn't even get into LinkedIn today. We didn't even get into social media. We didn't get into a lot of the things I want to talk about. So what that tells me is we got to have you back on the show because I could go deep dive with you on so many different topics. Guys, I want to tell you this, and David, I really appreciate you being on the show today. I want to, I want to reiterate something though. During commercial insurance, go to YouTube. The channel is Killing Commercial Insurance. I encourage you to, to go subscribe to that channel. 
and watch some of David's videos. And then also the Power Producers podcast. I think they did their first one like a week ago. Fantastic podcast. Got some stuff out of it myself. Uh, My one piece of advice to you, David, do not stop doing that podcast till you get to 50 episodes. Then make the decision on what you want to do going forward. But 50 episodes is kind of your, that's your litmus test on where you want to be with that. But I want to tell you how much I appreciate you being on the show today. Guys, I hope you got something out of what David said today. I know you did. And, you know, we, we as, as commercial agents, and my agency is, is heavy in commercial, we've got, we can learn a lot from guys like David. And I, I hope to goodness I can, Bradley and I can get you back on this podcast real soon. Guys, as I always say, get your ass out from behind that desk. Go out into the big, bad world. Build relationships. Make money for your family, for your wife, for your kid, for your parents that are struggling. Write good business for the agencies that you represent and write good business for the companies that you represent. Bradley Flowers, I love you. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, David. Hey, David, thank you so much. We will have you on again and we'll talk some more. Guys, you are listening to the Insurance Guys podcast and we'll see you back here real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at iprotectins at gmail.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to bradleyflowersinsurance.com or email him at bradley at sarahlandinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to being with you again real soon on the next episode of the Insurance Guys. Take care.